0: You're listening to Not Another Depressed Teen, your guide to mental health in teens by teens for parents and kids. From learning effective communication to finding the right resources to help your child prosper, our podcast has all the tools you need to gain insight on how to improve your mental health and your child. Stay tuned to learn more. Hi, I'm Anya. And I'm Pranjal. Today's episode features Sahar Jahanikya, the founder of CognoTrain and the chair of Biological, Human, and Life Science Department at the Aspiring Scholars-Directed Research Program. We will be discussing Ms. Sahar's work in neuroscience as well as diagnoses for mental illnesses. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience with neuroscience before ASCRP?
1: Yeah, sure. So I did my undergraduation in science with majoring in chemistry. After that, I pursued my master's in bioinformatics, and I started doing my PhD in the field of informatics, and my thesis was on uh, molecular dynamics simulation of RNA, protein, and DNA interaction. So I started with a lot of interest, but as a PhD student, I kind of felt disconnected. I think the aim was just to earn the PhD degree. There was nothing behind that. So after two and a half years, I left my PhD. Since bioinformatics comes with informatics, during the course of your master's degree, you get to learn Uh, a lot about computer programming, databases, so that was a time that I got introduced to programming languages like C, Java, web development like HTML, CSS, JavaScript. So I started kind of diverted my expertise mostly towards computational because I I thought wow, we can solve a lot of problems instead of being in a vet lab in just in front of your computer. So we moved to the United States and and that was a time that I was like, okay, you know, this is it. I want to do brain sciences. So, no background, nothing. And I sent my resume to one of the outstanding labs in the field of neuroscience, Sandler Neuroscience Center at UCSF. And I woke up in the morning to invitation. That was quite surprising because. Um, during the time that I was talking to the assistant professor or the PI of the project, I could not understand a word. So I think that was a moment that, like, oh no, I, I don't know anything. So I just told him that I don't know why My resume took your attention because I do not know anything that you're talking. And he was like, no, you you have the thing that we need. We need a strong computational person to do the neuroimaging data analysis. And you look like a right fit. So I was scared because I could not digest anything so far. But, you know, something triggered me to say, "Okay, I want to do that. You're going to learn it now or you're not ever going to learn this one you know and I end up being in a lab surrounded by talented outstanding professors in the field of psychology neuroscience and that was a moment so I I was thinking that I want to go to school and do neuroscience and I was like why do I need to go to the school I am surrounded by professors that i can learn from so my pi became my mentor so he was the one that you do the analysis and i will teach you the neuroscience so everything just clicked in before that i just wanted to have a degree or have a title but it was a moment that i do not want any title i do not want any degree i just want to know about this so I started learning about cognitive neuroscience. I started learning about psychology. I started analyzing MRI data, EEG data. I started expanding my knowledge while I was at UCSF. After UCSF, I joined Stanford. When I was at Stanford, I was like, you know what? I, I think I can design my own studies. I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of input. I believed in a power of mentorship because... My mentors helped me to become a neuroscientist that I am. So ASDRP was the ideal place to bring all the projects that I had in my head and bring them to life.
0: What kind of projects are you working on at ASDRP with your researchers?
1: So... Again, I'm coming from a computational background. My lab entirely at ASDRP is a computational cognitive neuroscience and psychology lab. So my projects divide two different categories. On the side of neuroscience and cognitive neuroscience, I do have neuroimaging projects. We do have a project writing book about a Human connectum Project. We have multiple projects that are you know, working on the cognitive ability and how to enhance the cognitive ability. On the computational part, I have a lot of data science projects that are mapped with recent pandemic, COVID-19. So basically the application of data science merged with COVID-19 to address some of the questions. So like I have a COVID sleep theme. So these are kind of social psychology that means we design the study, we collect human data, we do data science and advanced data analysis, just not some kind of correlation, but also like Casual modeling, doing this mathematical modeling on data. So, um, yes, so the data science, like I have mapping the uh, next breakthrough among the vaccinated individuals in global map. That is one of my projects. The other project is the impact of COVID-19 on the, uh, the behavior plasticity of adolescents. I do have studies that just started on COVID fatigue, element of fatigue, both physical and mental. A lot of projects, I have 11 active projects at ASDRB.
0: And um, if I remember correctly, in the COVID sleep fatigue project, you mentioned something about how adolescents who are getting COVID afterwards, they're displaying symptoms similar to ADHD? Correct.
1: So what is noticed that cognitive impairment that's happening after getting infected with virus based on What's currently been published, we are just so new with this virus and there is still a lot to learn. But unfortunately, the kind of symptoms post-COVID that the adolescents are reporting are very much close to ADHD, like their attention span. Before that, they might have a balance between, you know, sport, music, school, You know, game or whatever field, but looks like the individual who gets uh, infected with virus tend to stick to a couple of activities. But again, like we do not have that much data. But what we are able to hear at this time that they are showing ADHD-like symptoms. We should not interpret that they are developing ADHD. Just they are showing symptoms like ADHD. However, the good part of it, it's not a permanent kind of side effect. So eventually, we're expecting to ease the main part of that project. So to understand how long each of this physical and cognitive impairment
0: lasts. Hmm, That's interesting. So you wouldn't really say that you would diagnose anyone with ADHD directly after they have COVID.
1: ADHD-like
0: symptoms, but
1: they are not developing ADHD, no.
0: So in general, in the mental health industry, do you think incorrect diagnoses are a problem that you ever see? Absolutely. If you have a kidney problem, you go to the
1: uh, normal doctor and then they'll send you to the, the specialized doctor. You know, it's very clear. It is not possible that you have a kidney stone and your doctor says, okay, you know what, it's a heart issue. Right, Absolutely clear boundaries between the disease. When it comes to the psychological issues, there is no clear boundaries. There is a chance that a kid's been diagnosed with ADHD did, does not in actual life had ADHD. But that kid, due to inv- environmental factor, due to genetic, due to family things, maybe it's a kid that is having a high level of anxiety, and that high level of anxiety will show symptoms like ADHD. Parents, they take the kids to doctor, doctor review the symptoms. In one day, they give them some assessment and they say, Hey, I, I think we cannot focus. The moment say that cannot focus. You know, doctor will concentrate on the word focus. Okay, so it's a ADHD, and here is the medication. In real fact, it is the kid does not have ADHD.
0: But if a kid is displaying all the symptoms of ADHD, then like, what's the difference between having the symptoms of a psychological issue and having the psychological issue?
1: So the patient needs to be monitored for a long period of time before they diagnose. So I want to see the kid coming during the spring break. I want the kid to come during the exam time. I want the kid to come during the winter holiday.
0: Do you see what I'm trying to say?
1: Yeah. So
0: control like the external factors and make sure that. It, is. Exactly. So
1: if the kids, no matter what, where we are at day or night or summer or winter or spring, I know it's taking long time, but we need to know the correct diagnosis. I think one of the next other things is depression and bipolar depression. That's also very fuzzy. In the low of low, they go to doctor and doctor say, you know, you are absolutely depressed. Here is a depression medication. However, we should know that the depression medication has no impact. It's a different medicine for something else because the bipolars, they go through high of high and low and low. So the patient needs to be visited when they are in high and low because when the patient is in high of high, they feel happy about life. They are having a good time. So, of course they don't want to go to doctor because everyone is saying that oh you're so good you're so happy you're full of energy but that is not initially the gap between the high of high and low and low is more but eventually over time if it's not treated it gets worse and closer to each other so unless that they have not become weekly change of mood doctor will not
0: understand within two weeks visit Another thing that contributes to over-diagnoses of mental health conditions, if you want insurance to cover your therapy session, your therapist has to report a condition. So if you want your therapy sessions to be free, your therapist has to say, oh, Pondral has depression or Pondral has anxiety. Even if the therapist maybe feels that that's untrue, if they want to keep seeing you, then they need to give that label, which I think is wrong because therapy can be for people who don't have a condition, but maybe they're just going through a difficult period. Like you said, maybe they're transitioning jobs or maybe they've lost a loved one, right? You don't need to give them a diagnosis for that.
1: Absolutely. I am 100% agree on that. really need to get out of that sorrow or anxiety just by talking to someone. So really, you don't need to be that You might be really having that issue or you just need support. Irrespective of what is the reason. If the therapist feels that seeing you again is beneficial to you, it should not really make you a problem through insurance. So yes, it's, it's, again, it's one of, apart from all the things that we have, again, like why the doctor cannot visit a patient over and over and over and over for evaluation
0: is because the insurance also does not cover. For example, a parent's kid is diagnosed with a mental illness. What would you say is the first step they should keep the judgment
1: aside. They, they have to avoid the environment that gives them or the kids exposure to the judgment. They should start thinking that neither they are a guilt of it nor the kids. They start seeking help. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. But seek help from the individual.
0: You said that we should try to look for the root cause. Oh, sometimes a, like we're in a certain situation like with depression for example let's say a kid develops depression as a high schooler and you can't figure out a root cause doesn't that cause like a lot of anxiety in the parents and kids and it kind of feels like trying to look for somewhere to place the blame so what would you do if you can't really figure out the root cause
1: i mean so here is the thing sometimes a root cause is important. Like, if you go to, you know, doctor and you say that when I drink tea, you know, I get rashes. Or sometimes in the day when I have meal, I get rashes. So doctor said, oh, you are allergic to something. Let's find a root cause, right? Mm -hmm. So there are situations that the root cause is important. It's not a treatment. So your root cause, in this case, will not help much with your treatment, Mm -hmm. So that's a difference between when you get allergies versus you have neurological problems or anxi- or uh, psychological problems that you show. Because one root cause will help with an uh, exact diagnosis. Give the picture, give the idea of was it something that has been in the past or just recently developed. Imagine that the, the kid is really having a nice time at school. They are very friendly. They score very good, they don't have any issue. their cognitive ability is amazing. They end up to be in a friend circle that you know the drama within that, it's kind of kind of hampered them. Now the entire time they're brain the adolescent, we are still need to learn a lot about adolescent, but it is a time that they get disengaged, right. They get disengaged. their mind is always thinking about the external things that's happening around them. They cannot boundaries between the external things happening outside, inside the school, and with themselves. So you see that suddenly it will impact their education because it, they used to be an outstanding student. Now, as the scores are falling, they started feeling anxious. So if you are coming to me and said that, "Oh, your parents are saying that he's not scoring good. His attention span is really bad recently." She or he is, you know, all the scores has fallen, cannot concentrate, doesn't listen to us, want to sleep all the time. So if the doctor hears all these things, what did they hear? Okay, some anxiety, yes, yeah, some depression, scores are falling, maybe a DHD. like you see so many things are happening. But hey, if I sit you down with the therapist and you go with the reverse engineering, go back and back. Back. And then, hey, the root cause was maybe an argument in the friend circle. And, you know, there is something called rumination. That means that you bring the old thoughts again and you chew upon it. Some people tend to ruminate. It is irrespective of age. It's a big degree of rumination. And some people can even cause, you know, a severe anxiety and depression. Something happened. They just bring it up into their mind. So as they're going to study for math, the same argument with the friends come to the picture. Again, repeating, again, repeating, again, repeating. So if all these things goes back and get into a reverse psychology, so what will happen? A therapist will come to know that everything started when you had an argue in your inner circle with your friend or you have been bullied and these thoughts are keep on coming to
0: you. It's not anyone's fault. You can't yeah. put the blame on the kid for and you, you have to remember that, you know, it's just something that's happened and something you have to work towards fixing and work towards dealing with rather than something you have to, you know, like attack the cause. Of.
1: Yes. And I think uh, one of the key components of being a good parent is that they sit down, they put the judgment aside, they talk to the kids, they try to find a root cause and things get resolved you know, the rumination will start fading because the parents are helping kids. So I think parents have a very important factor on adolescents' mental health. I, I would say the hygiene of their mental health just by putting the judgment aside.
0: Yeah, and I think it's very important in these conversations for everyone to have an open mind. So If your kid says, I want to see a therapist, then like, yeah, there's no harm in letting them see one. But if they say like, oh, you know, I think the stress is caused of my friends, then maybe you should consider saying, hey, you don't need to invite your friends over this weekend. You don't need to see them anymore. So like listening to what the kid has to say as well.
1: It's a lot of complicated things because, you know, we cannot prescribe a same medication for every families. you know, and there are parents that, you know, mental health is important to them. There are parents that they grew up in the environment that, you know, a headache and stress and stuff was not considered as a life-threatening situation. You know, you can't blame anyone. You can't blame any family. Like, I'm sure that every parent, me as a parent, myself, they're trying their best. But what we can do is just an extra education as the new generation is getting more open to taking care of their mental health. So as a parent, now I have to be responsible, just like how I take my kids to dentist and make sure that their teeth does not get cavity, make sure that their, their mental hygiene, I would say, is also taking care. So it's more like an education for all the parents to learn more about everything that's going on with the new generation. Perhaps at our time, there were certain things that was not causing any stress or anxiety, but with new generation, it does. So education, education, education is important no matter at what stage of growing our child we are.
0: Yeah, we're lucky that in today's world, there's so many free resources on the internet. You can go to the library, you can buy books, you can talk to people. So if you want to, there's a lot to learn. Absolutely, agreed. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Zahar. And thank you to all of you who are listening for joining us today. Hopefully this episode has helped you further understand diagnoses and how they affect mental health. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to Not Another Depressed Team. Make sure to check out our website, notanotherdepressedteam.com, if you have any questions or comments, and also take a look at our Instagram and Facebook.
1: See you next time.